0: Hello everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of The Hollywood Podcast, covering the latest in film, TV, streaming, and social media. I'm your host, Max Geshwind. Stay tuned for today's episode. All right, Scott Feinberg. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I know you're incredibly busy this time of year, so I really appreciate having you on. It's my pleasure. So before we get into your thoughts on this year's Oscar race and what we saw from Globes and SAG this past mm-hmm. week and how that affects everything, I did want to delve into your career. Currently, you're the awards columnist for The Hollywood Reporter. Um, you've been there for many years covering and tracking the ups and downs of the various seasons, whether that be Emmys, Tonys, or what we're in mm-hmm. right now with Oscar season. Um, where did this passion come from was it innate or had you had it been in you since you were really young or was it something you discovered you had a love for say in high school or college when did this begin?
1: so I uh had a kind of a very unusual path here I um am from New Haven, Connecticut and my uh, dad was a little bit older than most of my friend's dad's, he was 45 when I was born and I'm the oldest of three kids. So, um, you know, that, that figure obviously is even greater for them. And, and, you know, I think all parents kind of want their kids to check out the stuff that they were into when they were kids. And that was no exception with my dad. It's just that the stuff that he was into was a little older than the stuff that my friend's parents were into. So I, kind of reluctantly was forced to sit and watch Marty, which was the movie that won the Oscar when my dad was 15. Um, I think I was about that same age, a little younger when he forced us to kind of check that out Mm -hmm. and some others. But really the big thing for me was when the, I came across this, question on who wants to be a millionaire which was the big show at the time and I was into it and just as a trivia buff and it asked which of these four movies was recently chosen as the greatest of all time by the American Film Institute and the options were Citizen Kane Casablanca Godfather and Gone with the Wind and I was embarrassed that I was not really I had not seen any of them at that point and I thought just for trivia purposes, I want to force myself to suffer through these one long weekend before starting high school. Mm-hmm. And um, and lo and behold, as I think would be the case for anyone who goes into watching those with an open mind, I uh, I ended up falling in love with them. And then it became a matter of tracking down the full AFI list, right. which I made my way through within a year wow. and uh, went to the 400 that they picked That those 100 from. And started to try to track down the surviving people from the classic movies to try to interview them. At that point, my pitch was that I wanted to try to do a book for other young people that would get them excited about old movies and thereby keep them alive for future generations, which I would still like to do. But Mm -hmm. uh, at the time, it was really just the best way to get access to these people whose work and and stories I loved and wanted to learn more about. And um, and it just kind of went from there to the point where when I was in high school and college, I would come out in the summers to LA. I didn't know anybody out here. I would come out with a friend or whoever I could, my dad a couple times, whoever I could convince to kind of accompany me because I was still pretty young. Uh, and just to Get to know the place, interview some of these people in person, but I never thought that it was a career path until, right. um, you know, I started. I, I went off to went off to college having been. I, I think this part I should. It's I know this is rambling a little bit, but this is this is important to the mm-hmm. story. Just so you understand that um, one of the lists as I made my way through the AFI list, another list, one of the lists that I decided I would not. Exhaust that quickly would be the list of Oscar nominees and winners for Best Picture. So I started to go through those. And in the process of doing that, I just sort of started to realize that um, even though the Academy has changed over the years, people have died, people have been added, all of that, that the kinds of movies they gravitate towards kind of stay the same. And there were certain trends. So at a certain point, the local library where I was renting all of these old movies from mm-hmm. told the local newspaper, hey, we've got this kid who's doing this. This is kind of a interesting, weird story. Wow. So they did an article about me, which got picked up by the local ABC News affiliate, which invited me on to come and try to predict the current Oscars. I guess they figured, you know, kid that knows something about movies, maybe it'll be a cute segment. Right. But what they didn't know was that 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 background of really – studying Oscar history at that point um, would lead to being able to do that pretty well. And so they then had me back each year until I went off to college. Now now it was like I was their awards analyst. It was a more serious thing. Mm-hmm. And so by the time I went off to Brandeis University, I had people saying like, oh no, how are we going to know what to see or what's going to win and all of that? And I said, "You know, I've heard about this new thing called a blog and I'm going to start one and I'll keep it updated. And so that's what I did while I was at college. And it was only because of the magic, I guess, of Google or whatever that people out in LA kind of knew that this blog existed. They didn't know it was being written in a dorm room in Waltham, Massachusetts, but they, at the LA Times, they knew that they wanted that kind of coverage. So I was just very fortunate to be approached as I was graduating um, by the LA Times saying, hey, we'd like you to do this for us. And that was Mm -hmm. the first job. Mm-hmm. So, you created the blog when you
0: began college as a way to still inform people about the ups and downs of the season as it um, went on, since you weren't actually physically able to go to studi- the studio anymore while you were in high school to provide the local NBC affiliate of your take on the season.
1: Yeah, local okay. ABC. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was. Um a combination of people saying like, Hey, what are we going to, how are we going to know what's going to win? And partly it was that I enjoyed, you know, writing about this stuff. And it was, it had sort of become part of my identity while I was still in high school. And it was something I really enjoyed. So I figured, you know, I'll keep doing it. And it was a, but there was never at any point until I literally, literally until I heard from the LA times that I thought this was something I could do, As a profession, they're just uh, nowadays there are people that do this kind of thing for the New York Times, for Vanity Fair, you know, all kinds of places. But those jobs didn't exist at the time. The L.A. Times had, I think, been the first to recognize that they could sustain something like this because they were the publication for the industry town you know, there were already in print a lot of ads related to awards, and I guess they figured that if they created an awards section online, called which they called the Envelope, they could, you know, maybe do even more in terms of ads. But um, it 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 was really a new concept that this could be a year round thing. Mm-hmm.
0: So, in a way, the LA Times, I guess, was um, a trailblazer in creating this position that wasn't otherwise a position at other publications in having a dedicated person cover award seasons year round a hundred you know? percent I mean even at,
1: at that point I wouldn't even say it was year round I mean I was under I was basically as I recall sort of paid for the season which was the Oscar season. Um, Because in those days even, which aren't that long ago, uh, Emmys and Tonys, they weren't fought as competitively as they are now. Um, They weren't long, drawn-out seasons like the Oscars are. It's only really because talent has increasingly moved between the different mediums, media, that that those have begun to be covered in that way. And so um, at the time, I think – You know, the LA Times deserves credit for recognizing that there was interest in this within the industry, that there were a lot of people outside the industry that were on message boards and blogs and stuff, uh, you know, following all this. Um, But the one mistake the LA Times did make was they hired three people to do the job of one person. So Mm -hmm. at that time, it was was Pete Hammond, who is now still one of my competitors. It was Tom O'Neill who is still one of my competitors and it was myself all working for the LA times. So Mm -hmm. eventually after like a year and a half of me being there, I think they realized that, you know, we don't need three people doing this. And it ended up being, I think, just Tom. Um, and at that point I faced kind of another decision, which was, damn, I'd really enjoyed the opportunities that came with working for the LA times because I got to actually, cover some of these things in person for the first time, the Globes, the Oscars. Um, But now I was no longer working for someone else. And I worried, you know, how could I, I I guess I'm going to have to go to graduate school or something. How am I going to make this work as a career if, um, but I decided I would take a year and just try to make it work with my own website and try to sell ads to the studios and all of that. And it turned out that that's what I did for, I think the next two or three years So that was, uh, I did that and I was my own boss for the next two or three years. And then what happened was, you know, the LA Times was not a a healthy place at that time. It had been hemorrhaging money and staff. And every time I would, I was still living on the East Coast when I was working for them, but I would Mm -hmm. come out, as I said, for some of these awards. And when I did that, I would pop in the newsroom to remind them that I was a real person mm-hmm. and each time there were fewer and fewer people there it just you could tell it was not a not a long term you right. know thing and so I I then you know did my own thing for a few years. And then I get this call from the Hollywood Reporter where the person who had been the publisher at the LA Times when I was there, who I didn't even really know, Lynn Siegel, had now become the publisher of the Hollywood Reporter, which was being totally reinvented by this new editor, Janice Min, who right. I, di- I also didn't know. But I think they realized, hey, we need awards coverage. And Lynn and the entertainment editor at the Hollywood Reporter, Joseph Kapsch, uh, I guess they. Suggested me, thankfully, and so that ended up working out. But um, and the thing, the great thing was that the Hollywood Reporter was just a a growing, vibrant place, unlike the L.A. Times. So you know, the thing I, I just didn't have to live in fear all the time that this was all going to kind of evaporate overnight.
0: Right, and and they knew about you because they took note of your work at the Times and your subsequent blog. That you I think so.
1: Yeah. Here. And apparently like, you know, Lynn is very thorough. She now is the editor of, or excuse me, the publisher of The Wrap, which is another publication, but she, uh, we worked together f- for a lot of years at the Hollywood Reporter and I got to know her a lot better. And, you know, she's, she knows everyone. She's very thorough. She checked me out. I think she found that, you know, I'm a hard worker. I treat people decently and, yeah, um, So thankfully, she went to bat for me, and I'll always be grateful for that.
0: Right. Um, Well, I want to now switch gears and chat with you about what we're currently experiencing, which is obviously, I feel like so many people have said it, but it is truly an unprecedented season that I'm sure you've never covered the likes of what we're experiencing currently. So the first thing I wanted to ask you is, what was your take prior to this week on the race? And now has that changed at all post Globes and SAG noms on where certain films or performances stand in your forecast? What's changed between a week ago and where we stand today in your view?
1: I think that what I want to begin that answer by saying is that uh, it's important to kind of define our terms. Now, the Academy, which picks the Oscar winners is actually a group of 17 18 different branches that are that individually pick they all get to vote to nominate for best picture but not for the nomination so you'll have the actors nominate the actors the makeup people nominate the makeup people and so on so even so the the full academy is about 10,000 people mm-hmm. the actors branch is just under 2,000 people so when you think about acting nominations for the Oscars. That's 2,000 people spread all around the world who are actors who will be picking the nominations for the Oscars for acting. Now, contrast that with the Golden Globes, which are chosen, the entire organization that chooses the nominations in all categories and the winners in all categories, it's only, it's about 90 people. So it's a, and and none of them actually make movies. You know, everybody in the Academy is there because in one way or another- They are part of the filmmaking process or promoting process for publicists and marketing Mm -hmm. people. The people in the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, the 90 people, they're journalists who are based in LA but write for publications overseas. So demographically and in terms of size, they have nothing in common with the Academy. Right. and then you'd go to the Screen Actors Guild or SAG-AFTRA, it's now called, the Actors Union, which picks the nominees for, well, the full union picks the winners for the SAG Awards, but the nominations are only picked by 2,500 randomly chosen members of the- Nominating committee. Sa- right. Yeah, this nominating committee. And so, right. um, again, the difference is these are not necessarily people who are working at the Highest level. Some of these people are, you know, essentially extras or whatever, which is not an insult. I'm not trying to insult them. I'm just saying there are differences, very big differences between each of these groups. And so, in terms of, you know, people look at the Golden Globe nominations and they assume, or, and or the SAG nominations, and they assume that that means that the same things are going to be repeated by the academy. And To an extent, they end up being that way. I mean, there's only 29 people out of 29 performances out of 380 in the 21st century that received neither a Golden Globe nomination nor a SAG Awards nomination, but still got nominated for an Oscar. Right. So that tells you that like 92% or something of the people that get nominated for a Globe and a SAG do end up getting nominated for the Oscar but it's not because they're the same voters it's because those those awards precede the Oscars they sort of help academy members winnow the field of what's important for them to watch right and you know but they where when they tend where they tend to not overlap is is on year, you know kind of late releases so you know for instance SAG and Globes voters have had quite a while to familiarize themselves with something like Hillbilly Elegy, mm-hmm. which is not one of the year's most acclaimed movies, but it got two SAG nominations, one Globe nomination for acting. Um, and you have to ask yourself, will that happen again at the Oscars, where, you know, movies that have come out that have dropped a lot more recently will have had more time to be seen, stuff like, you know, News of the World, United States versus Billy Holiday, and on and on. And what often ends up happening is that each year it's like two or three of the people that got nominated for SAG and Globes don't end up getting nominated for the Oscars. And those tend to be people with sort of those kinds of extenuating circumstances. So bottom line, I mean, after SAG and Globes this year, you have to definitely pay more attention than we were paying before to somebody like Jared Leto for Little Things. He was not really on- too many lists of front runners, but he got nominated by both SAG and Globes for Best Supporting Actor. Um, you know, I'd say similarly, Helena Zengel, the kid from News of the World, got nominated for Best Supporting Actress by both groups. Um, Vanessa Kirby, uh, both groups for pieces of a woman. Um, you know, so and and Gary Oldman for Make. Those were right. not sure things, yeah. but there are some there there's then that next group of people who got nominated for one but not both of Globe and SAG. So, you know, you those are more wild cards. Like, do we do we net what does it mean that Stephen Yun got a SAG nomination but not a Globe mm-hmm. nomination? Or that Amy Adams got a SAG nomination but not a Globe nomination, or that Andre Day for the United States of Billy Holiday got a Globe nomination but not a SAG nomination. Some of this means absolutely nothing. For instance Kate Hudson getting nominated for music, a movie that nobody outside of the HFPA has particularly responded to. Uh, that is a that is one of the more bizarre HFPA things, but it's it's you know not shocking when you think about the HFPA, where they're this little club of people who tend to reward big stars, big names, uh, families of movie stars. You know, Kate Hudson's the daughter of Goldie Hawn. It's a person who. They've watched grow up. You know, it's much more of a clubby thing than the academy because these people, again, are all in the same town doing the same thing in the HFPA. Whereas the actors branch, you know, it's just a lot more people spread all over the place um, with different preferences. So, the the most interesting group to watch though is going to be the people who got neither a SAG nor a Globe nomination because we can pretty confidently say that at least one or two of them, are going to end up getting nominated for the Oscar anyway. Last year, that person was Florence Pugh for Little Women. She had had no recognition leading up to the Oscars from either of those groups. Uh, the year before, it was the two ladies from Roma. Um, you know, the year before, it was, you know, each year, the last time there was a year when nobody uh, was nominated for uh, an Oscar without having, you know, somebody who had missed SAG and Globes, there that none of them were nominated for the Oscar. You have to go back to 2006, going into 2007. So that that tells you that again, one or more of these people that I'm gonna throw out there will probably end up, you know, still getting nominated. And the the ones that I think are the prime suspects are probably Sophia Loren for The Life Ahead. She's sort of. uh Real, you know, Hollywood royalty and a big comeback role that's been well received feels like that's something the Academy could do. Maybe one of the supporting actor, uh, supporting performers rather from this movie that the Academy seems to really be responding to, Sound of Metal. So this person, Paul Racy or Olivia Cook, um, you know, there's a possibility of, um, I would say, Zendaya for Malcolm and Marie which is again one of those late breaking movies that only dropped on Netflix last night and you know people are only starting to really talk about it now like she she or John David Washington or co-star could still rebound with the academy um and you know beyond that it's there's not too many strong possibilities i guess something out of the blue could happen like Tom Hanks for News of the World or uh Ben Affleck for The Way Back but the point is the Globes and the SAG nominations help to clarify things, but they are not the end of the discussion. You're
0: absolutely right that you know there's no overlap whatsoever really between these membership bodies. But what they do do is help narrow the field for the Oscar voters. Right. It helps narrow that. Um, I read your article, I think it came out the other day or two, where um you listed out those 29 performances that nailed those sag and globe numbers that came up short. Um, and so I absolutely see uh Jared Leto still not happening. It's sort of to me is in that vein of a Hong Chao and downsizing or a Mm -hmm. old Kidman in the paper boy, where it's Mm -hmm. this performance that no one really saw coming. It's in a mediocre film or critically panned film for that matter. And it just comes up short at the Oscars.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's not, the the tough thing for people to understand sometimes not, I'm not saying this is that you don't get it, but I think a lot of listeners may not is that, the Academy members are human beings. They only have so many hours in the day. Many of them are still busy with their own careers. So what they do is they watch, they prioritize the movies that they've heard the best things about. They don't get to the others where like one random performance maybe has a little buzz. And so at the end of the day, you're probably not going to vote to nominate something that you haven't seen, which is the reason why these guys, the studios and you know, publicists and everybody work so hard to get people to watch the movies because again- um you know the reason for doing a Q&A or the reason for doing a luncheon or the different ways that they campaign is not because they need to blow money it's because they know that it will increase the chances that academy members will actually watch the film and so if you're a person like you know again to go back to some of the examples you just mentioned hong Chow and downsizing or whatever this is or jared leto in the in the little things it's not a knock on their performances they're they're pretty good in right. movies that people overall did not like and so what i think ends up happening for the academy members is they just m- enough of them prioritize watching other movies that they're they end up picking from a smaller pool of contenders essentially and so you know Maybe it's not maybe it's not something that we should fault the Sag and Globes voters for because they're again starting before the field has been win by somebody else. And yeah, I mean, they have different reasons for popping in what they what they pop in. But the Academy is just you know, by the time it gets to them, it's like getting to the Supreme Court. They they are they are not gonna look at every single little detail that every other court looked at. They're looking at the kind of the big picture
0: right now um, I have a theory I just developed earlier today in preparation for chatting with you and I want to get your thoughts on it so um, I know you know I've heard a lot of talk post globes noms that even though things like Ma Rainey's black bottom one night in Miami defy bloods and Judas and the black Messiah all missed out on a picture nom that they still have a chance and are still serious contenders for winning. At the Oscars. And so that made me wonder when the last time a film won at the Oscars Best Picture, mm-hmm. but wasn't even nominated at the Globes. And if you don't count, you know, last year with Parasite, obviously, because it wasn't eligible for picture since it was a foreign film, and Gandhi, which one foreign film? Chariots of Fire, also. You mm-hmm. have to go back to 1973's The Sting, where yes. since that movie, only one has. Not been nominated for a globe for picture but went on to win picture, which was Crash, which obviously came with its own controversy. Yeah, and that's a great set, to- so I feel like you could almost, you know, excuse that one, but you it, so essentially you have to go back nearly half a century to the sting mm-hmm. in 1973 1974. Um, to find a film that won picture at the Oscars that wasn't even nominated at the Globe. So how much, I know it's incredibly, you know, um, risky to hold up a theory based on a stat because we've seen them being tossed out left and right over the last few years um, in terms of, you know, things being broken, stats, you know, being broken. But um, how much do you think that holds water? I really do think that this has essentially come down to Nomadland Chicago 7 with an outside shot of Minari as that sleeper that just everyone universally likes. I really do think it's down to just those three essentially after what we saw this week.
1: Well, before we talk about what it's down to, I think it's a great stat that you have there and I think that it's it is probably the case that, you know, we won't soon see a movie nominated for or excuse me, a movie win the best picture Oscar that wasn't nominated for one of those, you know for a best picture at the Globes because you first have to remember the Globes have ten chances to right. nominate. You know they have two best picture categories for five slots for dramas, five slots for musical comedies. Um, you know they're probably going to get the one that is going to win with the Academy at least as a nominee. Um, and I I would say that this year um that is very likely to be the case um as well again you you know the difference the other thing to consider though that's a bit of a wild card is that the academy and the globes have never been demographically more different because it's not just the size of the groups which are completely different but it's also you know if you look at who the hfpa actually are these are for the most part older white people and that's right you know, not making a comment about that so much as pointing out that the Academy has made a concerted effort over the last few years to become younger, more racially diverse, more gender diverse, more, uh, you know, diverse in terms of where the members are actually based. And so I think that the preferences, you know, the Academy might be more inclined to go for a movie centered on a you know, on on people of color than the uh than the HFPA is. Mm-hmm. Um and so look, I, I don't think it's out of the question that something like one night in Miami could some in, in some universe win. I don't think it's gonna happen. I don't think Ma Rainey is gonna be a you know is gonna win uh for picture. I think it's gonna do very nicely with acting nominations and, yeah. and um, you know, Judas and the black Messiah. I don't see that winning best picture at the Oscars. Um, and what was the five floods? Yeah. I mean that I, I actually think there is a pretty okay. big following, but I still, at the end of the day would agree with you that the likeliest best picture winners at the Oscars this year so far, are Nomadland and the Trial of Chicago Seven. I agree that Minari is not out of the question. It's, it would be a surprise, but it's not out of the question. And that movie, you know, as I think was noted, is not nominated for Best Picture at the Globes only because it's technically a foreign language film, like Gandhi was technically, or you know, right. whatever, whatever some of these others that you mentioned at the. Uh, at the Globes over the years. And so I, you know, looking at the Globe Best Picture nominees, I don't see The Father winning. I don't see Mank winning in terms of at the Oscars. I don't see it winning. I'd be very surprised if Promising Young Woman did. Mm -hmm. And then I would completely rule out any of the musical or comedy nominees. So that is going to be an interesting stat to watch, though, because, you know, the worst thing to be is a prohibitive early frontrunner, which is what people have treated Nomadland and, and Chicago 7 as, because eventually, especially in a, you know, in the long season, and there's never been a season as long as this one is going to be, um, you know, people get tired of the narrative. That may have been what did in La La Land, partly, um, you know, and some of these others, Saving Private Ryan had come out in the summer, and then at the, it was the Sure thing, all the way until at the very last minute, Shakespeare and Love got released Mm -hmm. and that, you know, so the thing though is there aren't too many movies that haven't yet been seen. So it's just like, where would the surprise come from? I guess something would have to happen like Steven Spielberg surprising everyone by saying, you know, before the end of this month when the eligibility period ends – Oh, you know, by the way, I am going to put out West Side Story, the remake this mm-hmm. season or, you know, something like that. Because otherwise, pretty much everybody has now shown their hands and there isn't there isn't a kind of million dollar baby that's still going to come at the last minute, which is what happened, you know, the year that that came in and kind of upended the, the season that everybody thought was going to be for the aviators. So I think, you know, if I... Was given money to go bet in Vegas. I would definitely st- kind of split it between Nomadland and Trial of the Chicago Seven. Right.
0: Yeah. And I mean, in the case with those year-end movies like Million Dollar Baby, they at least did still, you know, perform at the Globes and SAG. I'm sure still nominated them for a couple awards, so it still showed up at those precursors. Yeah. Was, um, I.
1: Yeah. As you say with your stat, I mean, it, it would be pretty out of the blue to have somebody just show up and with no prior recognition win.
0: Right, right. Yeah,
1: Um, I absolutely think the same.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's funny because I think those three are sure bets, obviously, for a nomination. And those three, I think, I agree with you, are sort of the front runners and um, are the only three that can win at this point in time. Um, But it seems like Vanessa Kirby is an example of just someone who... You're confident we'll get the nomination, but you don't see winning. That's kind of... Yeah,
1: I mean, I think she's sort of the new kid on the block. She's what Carrie Mulligan was with an education education. 11 years ago, you know? And so, um, you know, they uh, generally want you to kind of pay your dues a little bit. Once in a while, you'll get an Adrian Brody out of the blue where they just respect the movie and the performance so much that it can happen. And you know, I don't think there is that affection for pieces of a woman. It's not really showing up anywhere other than for Vanessa Kirby. So that's the only knock on her. And and plus, I think it's there are a lot of people who put that movie on and want to check out of it after just a few minutes because it starts out really rough. It's not for everyone. And um, and when I say rough, just upsetting. Right. And you know, life's upsetting enough right now uh, without subjecting yourself to a, a gruesome opening of a movie. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, so, but she's amazing in it. Same with Andre Day in the United States of Billie Holiday is great. Um, and, you know...
0: Uh, and Sophia Loren, who you Sophia, think yeah. still has a great chance.
1: I think she has a chance of getting nominated, yeah, and, getting nominated. And if she gets nominated, I think it you end up with a, a little bit of a wild card because she is so well-known and loved, that it could happen. But I I think her bigger challenge is going to be to get nominated. Foreign language movie, and it's not the easiest thing to get people to watch those, but we'll see.
0: Right. I mean, it's sort of like, it reminds me kind of of the Emmanuel Riva nomination, because she didn't get in at the Globes or SAG either. She got in, maybe, did she get in at Critics' Choice and probably at BAFTA? But I'm
1: sure she got Critics' Choice, but I'm just trying to remember... uh, she, did she not get either a Globe or a SAG?
0: I don't think she got in at, I, well, for sure, not SAG. She didn't get in. I, I'm pretty sure she didn't get in at the Globes either.
1: I'm just quickly pulling it up okay. So I'm curious now. Yeah, Uh that's that's true. And that's very surprising to me because, right. but I think maybe, I'm trying to so remember what track,
0: the, you know, where. That would, yeah,
1: yeah and it's weird because you would think that the Hollywood Foreign Press Association would be more embracing of foreign language performances or or non-English language performances and yet they are not always i think it goes back to their business model of essentially they that organization was created to help foreign journalists get access to Hollywood talent and so i don't think they necessarily felt it was beneficial to them to, to give away nomination slots to people who are not Hollywood talent, but you know, they have that line blurred after a while. I mean, Sophia Loren is technically not Hollywood talent, but she's well known enough in Hollywood that they've, they've acknowledged her quite a few times in the past, which made me a little surprised that they didn't go for her this time, but they did nominate the foreign language film that she's, the center of so it's hard to understand what happened there
0: yeah i was caught off guard when i noticed in your latest forecast you still had her in the top five but then when i went back and said well let's see people like her in years past like emmanuel riva did she miss out both and still get in and you know she did and i'm just looking now charlotte rampling too which is yep. sort of in that similar vein for 45 years a few years ago also missed at the globes and at sag
1: and still and the, got at the, the two roma women exactly uh, yeah, it's right. interesting.
0: I feel like as long as Sophia manages to get that Critics' Choice and the BAFTA then she'll still be fine. Um, because you know that what the seems problem to is sort with... of the trajectory that Charlotte Rampling and Emmanuel
1: Riva were on. They were they the pro... were able
0: to weather the storm in missing the globes and SAG.
1: That is true, but the problem with Critics' Choice now is that uh, and I'm a I'm a voter for that group. Right. They now nominate I think like six or seven people in the category. So you could end up with the same five plus Sophia plus somebody else. And it doesn't really clarify things, unfortunately. So right. I that's 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 a bit of a wild card.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Zendaya and Michelle Pfeiffer are they still serious here i mean especially michelle pfeiffer it seems like she that's not gonna happen yeah i Would think
1: that expect? ship has sailed i mean oh, yeah. she did get the globe nomination because they need to fill out the musical comedy category for actresses but it's not a movie that people have really clicked with it's not a particularly likable character which is not always necessary but it if your movie is not overall liked it's probably helpful uh Uh, you know, she's somebody who's liked and respected. She's been nominated before for the Oscar, but I think the category, it's just, she's going to get boxed out this year. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, and Zendaya, you know, we'll have to see. I thought that movie and those performances were as good as almost any this year. And yet it's taken some incoming from people who are, you know, objecting to the, Writer-director Sam Levinson. They feel that he's being a little whiny about reviews and whatever. But look, that's not always gonna be held against the performers. And you know, she has a moment in that. She has an Oscar clip worthy moment where you think she's doing one thing and then she reveals that she's doing a completely right. different thing. Yeah. And uh that to me feels like the kind of scene that you see when they're announcing the nominees. So We'll We'll see that one. the problem is that it's dropping so late that it it did kind of not get enough momentum to get nominated by these earlier groups. but again, you know, there are always a couple that managed to survive without that earlier recognition and and she is definitely a rising star. We'll see yeah,
0: and I'm sure it's gonna do really well this weekend yes. on Netflix after it hit. Yesterday, exactly. um All right. Well, real quickly. Um, best actor. I, I find best actress just super interesting, but best actor is also, you know, not total, not a total slam dunk. I mean, it does seem like Chadwick Boseman almost has this in the bag um, for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, but you know, Riz Ahmed. I'm just getting yeah. the, these past few weeks that he's coming up super strong and winning all these critics' prizes left and right. I've initially similar with Best Actress, I thought it was a certain two-way race. I thought that same thing with Best Actor, but with between Chadwick Boseman and Anthony Hopkins, but now I'm not so sure anymore. After Yeah, I mean,
1: the the problem for Anthony Hopkins is that he, you know, it shouldn't be about campaigning, but look, the life is not fair. And the reality is that voters are human beings, and they like to reward people who look like they want to be rewarded, which is certainly Riz Ahmed is Doing the circuit, Chadwick tragically cannot. So that is right. in its own way his, uh, you know, his kind of factor here that will be considered. I very much agree with you that Riz Ahmed is is looking very strong. I think that movie is looking strong for picture, and I actually think that it's not a done deal for Chadwick Bozeman for Best Actor because increasingly it looks like he's going to be nominated for Best Supporting Actor too for The Five Bloods and. I think that voters might reach the conclusion that they can recognize Chadwick Boseman in that category without really taking it away from anyone else who's particularly deserving in that category, and then that way still acknowledge Ariz Ahmed. Um, and so I think that could still end up happening. Like when and I and what what tends to happen is, you know, when these earlier award ceremonies actually are held, and we start to see you know if that for instance at at the sag awards is what happens that riz wins best actor and chadwick wins um best supporting actor right. then you might see that those things tend to just cause a cascading effect and that happens the rest of the way and i think that could happen and the other thing that could happen is that you know the film academy is not it's different in another way from from sag and globes where with SAG, you basically, the studio tells the voters which categories they want their performances considered Mm -hmm. in, and that's where they go on the ballot. With the Globes, they take submissions, but then they occasionally overturn it. But with the Oscars, they stay completely out of the classification process, and they say to their voters, you pick whether this you feel this is a leading performance or supporting. You can nominate someone anywhere you want. And 12 years ago, something happened that I could see happening Again, with Chadwick, which is that, you know, essentially you had Kate Winslet, who was up for two performances that year Revolutionary Road, her husband's movie, and The Reader, which was Harvey Weinstein's movie. Uh, and Harvey basically said, uh, I want Kate to be pushed for, um, but I'm just trying to. I want to make sure I get this right. That that basically, yeah. So for for Revolutionary Road, Paramount was pushing her as a lead, and then Harvey decided that even though the reader, she was clearly the lead, he was going to push for her to be supporting, so that they weren't competing and against each other, and maybe you know canceling each other out. But mm-hmm. in the end, what a lot of and and so you know, for instance, at the Globes, she won for both. One lead for Revolutionary Supporting for the Reader, as I recall. Uh, right. But at the Oscars, when the nominations came out, the Academy said, no, 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 no. This is bullshit. First of all, she is a lead for the Reader also. And also, by the way, we don't particularly like Revolutionary Road. So they ended up nominating her for lead for the Reader, and she won. Mm-hmm. And so I think the, the parallel here could be that, look, Chadwick Bozeman is in a movie called Ma Rainey's Black Bottom the movie centers on Viola Davis's character. He is part of an ensemble group of band members who all have great moments. He has a particularly very good monologue or two, but you know, there is an argument that could be made that he is a supporting actor in that role as well. And I don't think it's out of the question that he could get nominated in supporting for that wow. and not at all for, for The Five Bloods. So in if that were to happen- We got a whole new ballgame because he'll win supporting and probably Riz Ahmed will win lead actor. Now, Riz Ahmed could win lead actor even if Chadwick is there, but it would be a it would be a taller climb.
0: Well, that's really I never before you saying that just now heard that that as a possibility. But that really could happen. Was there at least talk, though, of the reader with Kate Winslet and the reader of that going lead before nominations? Came it out was, it was
1: out of the blue. It was okay. so okay. crazy. I mean, I remember that morning saying, Wait, what? Because right. what it what it did do was it told you the Academy is not gonna be bullied into you know being told where to put something if they right. believe that and and so that was really pretty interesting. Um and uh you know, and I just want to note also for Ma Rainey's black bottom. That for the Broadway version, the, I'm, I'm just pulling it up here in front of me now to make sure I'm giving you correct information, but the original Broadway production was in, okay, 1984 into 85. Mm-hmm. At that Tony's, the opening night cast, what's the name of Chadwick's character? Levy. Elliot Levy. Uh, so that was played by Charles Dutton. Mm-hmm. Charles Dutton was nominated for Best Featured Actor, not it's Best Lead Actor. Me. Yeah. So, which is their supporting? Right. So, it is pretty interesting to me that, yeah. uh, and then when it was revived in 2003, the actor who played Levy was Charles Dutton, and Charles Dutton was not nominated at all. Mm. So, uh, the Tony nominee was for a different character. So all I'm saying, I'm not saying that will happen, but keep an eye on that because the difference, again, the Academy can do something there that these other groups cannot do.
0: I feel like if Oscar voters were given a choice to give Chadwick posthumously an Oscar for which performance, it would absolutely be Ma Rainey over... Five Bloods. So, yeah, that's a great theory. Um, well, we, we won't touch on the supportings too much because I just feel like they're total jump balls. And I saw your most recent forecast with um, your top five currently being Chadwick Boseman for DeFive Bloods, Paul Racy, Daniel Kaluuya, Leslie Odom Jr., and Sasha Baron Cohen. And I honestly, I could be wrong, but at this point, because of the incredible lack of clarity, I could see almost any one of these winning, which I think just speaks to. how, you know, this is so so unclear as of right now that I feel like it's almost hard to really dissect these supporting categories um, as seriously as the leads. um, I agree.
1: I think, uh, you know, it'll be something to keep an eye on and, um, and we'll see.
0: The thing I do want to ask, though, I was such a huge fan of On the Rocks and was very relieved. Bill Murray got in at the Gloves but lost at Sag. Do you still think he has a chance of breaking through that top five? I think there's
1: a shot, but it's going to be okay. it's unlikely. Bill Murray. There, there are some other honors uh, coming his way that are not necessarily like these voted upon ones, but sort of things that will keep him in the conversation. So I I, I wouldn't rule it out entirely, but I, I think it's it's slim. Less likely, yeah,
0: right. And then um, supporting actress, similarly, a jump ball. I think a lot of us thought Amanda Seyfried was a front runner to win, but her missing out on SAG, I think, has turned this like inadvertently into, uh, oh, could Glenn Close win after all? Could that? That's the have that?
1: that's the thing that I'm just kind of trying to wrap my head around. Right, I, it's she, you know the reality is she's not the reason that movie is bad. Um, And people do want to look, she deserves an Oscar, she should have one by now. Uh, they've blown it a few times with her, so I think that it depends if she ends up nominated opposite Amanda Seyfried, you know, Maria Bakalova, and people like that who are relatively young and new to the game. I think that they'd rather recognize Glenn Close than somebody, you know, who's you know make her make her be the runner up again so a lot of it's going to come down to who she's nominated against i think and i i do after seeing her nominated for sag and globes i i do think it's possible
0: yeah and you know amanda shouldn't worry too much because regina king happened a couple years ago where she missed out on sag but still won so yeah, exactly she's not, she's not out of the cards by any stretch of the imagination right
1: um and that movie's going to get a lot of, that movie might even end up with the most overall nominations cuz it's going to do very well below the line with right. you know all the craft categories and stuff. So um that's a that's another just interesting thing to watch. How will make do? Right. I'm just still hoping that Ellen Burstyn finds a way.
0: I was a huge fan of hers yeah, um in Pieces of a scene. Woman. So yeah. maybe in that vein of the Sophia lorenz and Charlotte Ramplings that could still happen for her, I don't know. We'll see. We'll uh, see to get your take on what you think this telecast is going to look like on April 25th. I, You know, we're still a couple and a half months away from that date. I'm pretty optimistic about the headway we're making on the vaccine rollout. Do you think that we'll be at a place by end of April where the ceremony won't look like what the Emmys did last September? Do you think that there would be at least somewhat of an in-person component or do you think it'll look by and large what the Emmys did
1: I think it's gonna look pretty much like the Emmys did where you had probably some type of an MC uh you know maybe a few presenters spread out but I just don't think either the content you know people who would be potentially invited or the academy are gonna want to chance it you know give it one more it'll, it'll be one ceremony that is unusual um but I I my guess is that in two months from now, we're still gonna have a lot of people under the age of fifty who are not vaccinated, probably most people under the yeah. age of fifty. And um it's unfortunate, but it's just the reality of what we're dealing with. And you have to hope that somebody like Steven Soderbergh, who's one of the producers, will still find a way to make the show visually cool and exciting. And I'm sure they'll have, you know, a similar thing with the Emmys where you'll have somebody outside each of the Major nominees doors with an Oscar ready to go if they win because you still you don't want to deprive somebody of that kind of exciting moment um, you know it would be a shame if I, I don't think Glenn Close would complain but if somebody like she finally wins and it's in a year when she can't get that kind of traditional standing ovation that she would have gotten had she won mm-hmm. you know in two years ago or whatever but look there are bigger problems in the world right now yeah, and absolutely. I think uh, it'll be nice if they can have it happen in some form
0: yeah and you mentioned Soderbergh he's he was such an out-of-the-box choice I thought when that news first broke that he's the producer of this year's telecast um I'm sure it'll look different because of that in some way um yeah. COVID aside in terms of who's going to be hosting and just what the little you know skits are going to be throughout the whole ceremony Yeah. Uh, all right well Scott thank you so much I really appreciate it no problem talk to you later Thanks so much for tuning in. Please take a moment to subscribe to The Hollywood Podcast for free on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Until next time, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Max Geshwind. Thanks for listening.